to the Teague, John and, and Homer and, and Tom Teagues up on Barton Creek uh, on the south side of the BK Road was the Riley family. Now, it so happens that being a lawyer in my profession, I didn't always run into the nicer members of these families. And the, uh, the ones that's on the shady side of life was the ones that generally needed a lawyer. But uh, the Riley boys, uh, there were two of them. One of them was Tom T. Riley. John T. Riley it was, and, and H.B. H.B. was called Rush, and I think Rush was the younger one, but he had a little more sense than John T. because uh, Rush didn't go to penitentiary. He got caught once or twice for bootlegging, but it was always a finable case or a jail, jail sentence. But uh, anyway, John T., uh, they had one of the finest sisters that ever lived, and she uh, she lived on the home place up and raised a fine family, and I won't even mention her name in connection with the two brothers. But John D., he got tired of cutting cedar and burning charcoal, and and along in the, about the early 20s, well, he came to Austin. Uh, I'm sure it was, uh, came down there for the purpose of peddling liquor. And, uh, of course, Rush was in the bootlegging business about that time and had a little old uh, house out on the Lake Austin Boulevard where the university kids could come out and buy whiskey from him, beer, whatever else they needed. Well, anyway, John T. fell afoul of the law, and he got caught for the ignoble crime of pandering. And uh, they sent him to the penitentiary. And... Uh, it so happened that John T. had been a veteran of the First World War. And uh, he had, a, a, I think, a 15-year sentence. So uh, when Miss Ferguson became governor in 1932, I was a, kind of a fair-haired boy. I was a, uh, on account of family connections. Papa had been a good friend of old man Jim's when he was governor. And, and uh, I had introduced Mrs. Ferguson when she started a runoff campaign against uh, uh, Ross Sterling in 1931. She started in San Marcos, and she asked me to introduce her. And I wasn't but 26 years old, and that's quite an honor. So I was considered in her favor. And so when she became governor, I was in line to... Uh, rectify some of these miscarriages of justice that uh, had people in the penitentiary. And it so happened, old uh, John T. Riley was one of them. And so Rush found out, uh, he was out of the penitentiary, and he found out about this adjusted service certificate law. The federal government, you know, passed a law about that time saying it's during the Depression, you know, and they, uh, uh, all the veterans that, that served 90 days or more, maybe whatever the time element, got $2,500 bonus. We call it the bonus. And uh, that was a lot of money, and, and there was just a whole lot of veterans at that time. And John T. happened to be one of them. And Rush knew about it, so uh, Rush found out that you had to have this adjusted service certificate in order to send it in to get this $2,500. And old John T., he'd, uh, he never kept it. He couldn't read and write any, and he didn't know what had happened to it, and I sent him to penitentiary. So we had to go through the, the formality of, of uh, getting his record all straight and then making a bond to guarantee that he was the John T. Riley that had this discharge, the record showed. And then when we did all that, then they were, the federal government would send us this $2,500 for this veteran. 
And uh, in the meantime, John T. was in the Sugarland Farm Penitentiary. He'd been been over there. It was a sort of a trusty farm. And so uh, I had made some little arrangements with uh, the governor. I'd gotten his uh, record from the penitentiary up to the Board of Pardons, and and I was trying to time the matter to where uh, by the time John T. got this money, I'd have the pardon ready so that he wouldn't get the money and get out and spend it all before he paid me for getting him out. And so. We had it time pretty well. I, uh, the governor kind of uh, had told me that she would let him out in due time or cut his sentence off, but he's going to get out. He'd been down there about 10 years or whatever it was, and so uh, Rush and I decided we'd go down and talk with John and inform him about this uh, good deed we was going to do for him. So we went down to Sugarland for him, and they pulled old John off. He'd been out, and he's attending uh, the hogs down there, and they brought him into the captain's office, and, and uh, of course, there were all the guards and everybody was listening to us, and we explained to John that... that uh, uh, we thought we could get him a pardon and, and that he had some money coming from the government. Well, he didn't understand that at all because he's been better treated while he's in the Army than he ever been treated in his life. And, and uh, he told us, he said, Now, boys, I don't know whether I want out of here. And I said, said I hear times is hard outside, and they were. He's during the Depression. And he said, I got the, I ain't having no trouble down here. He said, they don't whoop me. And, and I'm running the hogs over here on the, on the creek somewhere. And he said, we have a, a little homebrew we're making over there, and I'm just having a pretty good time living down here. And he said, um, but we argued with him. We told him that, uh, and Rush wanted him to get out, and so the folks at home wanted him. So John finally said, well, all right, if we'd get him this money, and I told him he'd have to give me $500 of it for getting him out. Well, that still left him $2,000, and that's more money than he ever had in his life before. And so anyway, I went about it, and I got his pardon. And in those days, well, the governor's office would uh, have the secretary give me the pardon, and I could take it down to the uh, penitentiary officials and prison officials, and they would uh, uh, let the man uh, and, uh, loosen my custody after the pardon was down there. So uh, I finally got the got the uh, uh, what happened though. Uh, the, the money come in first. John's check from the government, twenty five hundred dollars came in, and and so uh, I went down and and I uh, had him to endorse it. And I told him I was going to put it in the, in the Austin National Bank, and then he gave me a check for $500. Of course, he didn't know what he was doing, and he didn't know where the money was or anything. But anyway, I had to leave the, this checkbook down there with him. He had $2,000 left in the bank. And so then we come home, and it took us about a week to get the pardon together, go back down and get him out. And so Rush and I, we, we put in put on some steam to do it, and we got back down there to, to the Sugarland Farm one morning, and and uh, we went out to see John, the captain met us at the, at the office there, and he said, well, John had a little special duty, and it would be the next day before they could present him to us, that he had a, something that he was doing. And so we thought that was a little funny, and I had the pardon there, and he's, he's uh, ready to let him out. And I made uh, made made it un- made them understand that I thought there's something irregular about it, and I might say something to the governor about it. Well, anyway, they told me to come back the next morning, so Rush and I did. We came back the next morning, and, and uh, we picked John up, and, and uh, he was sure that he had his checkbook with him. And, and on the way home, he told us what had happened. He said, when we had been down there the week before and left this checkbook, well, of course, the captain knew about what we was doing. They listened to everything we say to him. And so what had happened, uh, uh, two of the guards would take time about going up with John to the Rice Hotel and spending a couple of nights up there, and John was paying the bills. They had to have two of the guards with him at the time, and then uh, the, the one of them would come back and leave John up there, and, and another would go. So he was entertaining three or four guards there, for, and he didn't spend about $100 or maybe $150, but he thought that was just the way to live from then on, and he thought that's what they were going to do to him, and of course, as long as his money lasted, that's what they would have done. But we got John home, and, and uh, then, then he uh, took up with his cousin, Laid Young. She's a second or third cousin, and I'll talk about Laid a little later. She was one of my first employees when I bought my land up on the BK Road in 1929. But 
the lady was a, a, a stray at that time, and so she knew cousin John T. was in the wealth, and so they went off and stayed about a year. He got him, he spent it about as fast as he could throw it away, and he went off up to Wichita Falls and rented him a, a filling station, and of course he run through his money as fast as he could. And about a year later, well, he came into my office and one day right afternoon, and uh, I had some other customers in there waiting on me, uh, clients, and so uh, I let John come in finally. And uh, John said, Mr. Shelton said, uh, you know that money you got from me last year? I said, yeah, John, I remember that money. Why? He said, well, if you get me some more of it, I'll give you half of it. Now, that's how little he knew about him getting and what that money was for. as for service in the war. And he had no more idea where it come from, and, of course, that made it easy go, too. I might mention about Rush. Uh, Rush is a... When during the bootlegging days, old, old man Jim Quinlan was deputy United States Marshal. And uh, whenever he'd get bored about trying to catch a bootleg, he'd just go out and get old Rush, because Rush would sell to anybody. But, and, and Mr. Quinlan finally told him one day, I was down in examining trial representing Rush, and Mr. Quinlan told Rush, said, Rush, you just don't have enough sense to bootleg. He said, I was out at your place this morning with a cap on, and you sold me some whiskey, and you returned your loose on the bond. You went back out there, and this afternoon I went out with a hat on. That's the only change I made in my appearance, and you sold me some more. He said, you just don't have enough sense to, to be a bootlegger. Well, anyway, uh, Rush lived till about two years ago, and I remember when he died. And uh, then John T., Joyce has always been one to want to look around these old cemeteries. And there's an old cemetery right at the back of Eanes School, right close to where the church and the school buildings are now. And that was the old Eanes Cemetery. And we were down there one day for some purpose, and Joyce wanted to go back in and look at these old tombstones. And lo and behold, there was a brand new one from the government. And it had John T. Riley on it. So John had died, and he'd buried down there uh, in the Ain School. But it seems that folks just don't recall about John. Somebody liked to drink and chew. Yes, it seems that folks just don't recall about John. Somebody liked to drink and chew.